right, we go ahead and bring up the house lights if you can. That'd be helpful. All right, so I can see your shiny faces. There we go. There we go. Welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael. It's great to see you. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a Bible at the back. If you're a guest here this morning, please grab his devotional. This is our gift to you. You can turn to page 203 and uh, follow along. And then we also have a tablet we have uh, going through the audience just to give you a little computer exercise for the morning. Help you stay engaged. That's something we do every Sunday. And if you're new here this morning, that's a way for us to stay connected as a ch- uh, church family. So feel free to provide any information uh, you're comfortable with, and uh, that'll be fantastic. Uh, do you know the term uh, GOAT, right? G O A T, right? Greatest of all time. Yeah, you do. So here's some, here's some athletes. <clears throat> Greatest of all time. You got Michael Jordan, MJ, Muhammad Ali, Serena Williams. If you haven't seen uh, her movie, that's a fantastic movie. Tiger Woods, uh, just a goat. You also got some composers that are goats, right? Greatest of all time composers in music, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, those guys. Greatest leaders of all time, Martin Luther the King Jr. You got Abraham Lincoln, Mother Teresa, Winston Churchill, Churchill there, all great leaders. The, the passage we're going to look at this morning is the greatest passage of all time, right? We're going to see the, the greatest picture of uh, humiliation, uh, the greatest uh, demonstration of exaltation, and we're going to see the greatest response, uh, the most important response for us this morning. So that's a big picture of where we're going this morning, and uh, you can uh, turn to page 203 in your devotional. You're going to see some questions there. You know, the questions aren't for this morning. That's for throughout the week. This morning, we're going to jump into the passage. We're going to look at verse 5. I'll read. You follow along. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. We've been covering that from the beginning. He's writing to the church in Philippi. These are men, women, and children just like uh, ourselves. And we've seen the tone of the letter change. From chapter 1 to chapter 2, the tone has changed from encouragement to to a challenge, to a stand firm. Right, that there's opposition. The opposition isn't just out there. Sometimes we got opposition right here in the church family, uh, and and disagreeing how to resolve the opposition out there. And so that's what we talked about last Sunday, right? To understand the weight of verse five, I got to recap a little bit of what we talked about last Sunday, right? Last Sunday we see there's opposition out there, and then sometimes we disagree on how to resolve the opposition. Right? I mean, think about today in our culture in 2022. We have opposition around racism, how to educate, sexuality, environmentalism, gasoline, socialism, economy, politicians. I mean, there's just all kinds of opposition out there. And then what happens is we disagree on how to resolve, right? We all imagine, we all think that we have the best answers. It's okay. You can admit it. We all think our answers are the best answers. Uh, we think our podcasts are the best podcast. Our, our news source is the only unbiased news source, right? It's un- of course, my news source is un- unbiased, right? My, my uh, news articles are the best. We think ours is the best, and we think everybody else, they don't get it. 
I mean, how many times have you thought that you just don't get it, right? You don't get it like I get it, right? And what, what our passage last Sunday was teaching us, verses 1 to 4, is that when we have that attitude, right, that we're the ones that have the right answer and you don't get it, it's, it, it's because of selfishness, it's because of pride, and it hurts our relationships with one another. So last Sunday, verses 1 to 4, God's Word commands those who are in Christ to seek unity, Right? Seek unity in our relationships with one another. Our impulse is to cut one another off. Our impulse are to ignore. Our impulse is just to avoid people right, that don't agree with us. But God's word doesn't let us get away with that. God's word calls those who are in Christ to seek unity. And then verse 5. Right? This has all been building. Verses 1 to 4 have been building to verse 5. Right when we're about to want to push back, we're going to want to disagree. We're going to want to make excuses. Verse 5 says, have this attitude. You can all say the word mind. Have this mindset in yourselves. It's not individual. It's collective. It's the body of Christ. Have this mindset in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? You see how it lands? 1 to 4, seek unity, and then points us to Jesus. It isn't seek unity just for the sake of seeking unity, but the idea, verses 5 to 11, what we're going to talk about this morning, is that, that, that we're seeing Jesus in all his glory, and that we're in so awe of Jesus that the awe of Jesus moves us to seek unity. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, right? That we're, we're in awe of Jesus. How could we not seek unity? So let's look at Jesus and how glorious he is, verses 6 and 7 says, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, he's talking about Jesus, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Jesus emptied his glory, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. All right, verses 6 and 7, they're jam-packed with goodness, right? So let's just take it kind of phrase by phrase. When he says, he existed in the form of God, that's, that's talking about Jesus. It's a, it's a reference to the eternality of God, to the deity of God, that Jesus is God, right? Sometimes we forget that, right? Sometimes we think, well, Jesus began at his birth, Right? That's when we began, so we just assume, we celebrate Christmas when Jesus was born. So isn't that what happened when Jesus began at his birth? No, 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 no. No, Scripture teaches us that Jesus always was, always is, and always will be, right? He's the eternal God. Scripture teaches that Jesus was in Genesis 1 and 2. He, he didn't begin at Christmas. He, he began at creation, Colossians 1. It says that Jesus is the creator of all things. That all things are by him, through him, and for him. That Jesus is eternal God. That's what Colossians 1 is teaching. That things, he says, things on earth, things in heaven, things that are seen, things that are unseen, rulers, authorities, thrones, dominions, all things. That's what, that's what verses 6 is, is that Jesus is glorious God and that he stepped out of it to take on the flesh of humanity. Do you see that in verses 6 and 7? This is so big. Jesus gave up glory to walk in 
humanity. Like, just sit in that for a second. Like, like if I gave up a dollar, you wouldn't be that impressed, right? I mean, a dollar today is like, like a penny, right? Inflation joke, right? You give up a dollar, that's no big deal. But if I told you I gave up a million dollars, or if I laid aside a billion dollars, you'd be like, wait a minute. That's what, that's what 6 and 7 is describing, that Jesus, eternal God, living for eternity in heaven, perfect, and he stepped out of it. He gave it up to take on the flesh of humanity. And so just think about Jesus living in heaven for eternity. Like that was his home for eternity. Like you know how sometimes we have this feeling like we've been cooped up too long and we want to get away? You want to get out on the road and see what else is out there? Jesus <laughs> has never felt like that. Like he's lived eternity in perfection, eternity in heaven. That means for eternity, every meal, there's food in heaven, every meal Jesus ever had was perfect. Like every moment he ever had was perfect. Every emotion he ever felt, perfect for eternity. Every muscle, movement, joint, like there's no allergies in heaven for Jesus. He never knew what a Kleenex was until humanity, like he just existed in home of eternity and heaven, perfect, right? Not only that, but Jesus also dwelled in relationship, perfect. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Like we we argue with everyone and anyone, like, have made up arguments in our head on Mopac. Jesus never experienced that. The Father, Son, and Spirit have always known perfect love, perfect union, perfect harmony, perfect love. For eternity, we can't even imagine what that must have been like. Like, my wife and I, my wife Holly, we, today we are celebrating 23 years of marriage. Today is our, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Like, I love, I love my wife so much, I, I call her my special one, right? I heard somebody else say that. I said, I'm going to steal that. She's my special one. Isn't that good? I was like, did you make that up? Because I'm going to use it. She's my special one. Like, I love, I can't imagine my life without my wife. Like, I just, she's amazing, right? I, th- there are things that she likes to do that I don't like to do. But if she's going to go do it, like, I want to be there, right? There's foods, there's, I mean, I'll just, I'll eat it if you, like, I just want to be around her. I can't imagine my life without her. And that's with a regular human being after 23 years of marriage. Like, can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to step away from perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit for eternity? Like, if I feel that after 23 years, he had for eternity, that's what our passage is teaching us this morning. It says, he laid it aside to take on the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men. Do you see that in verse 7? I mean, you might think God in all his glory, if he's going to step out of the eternal heavens, that he would at least come as like, this, this powerful king, right, draped in prestige and, and position. But it says he comes as a form of a bondservant. And this is the greatest demonstration of humiliation that we could 
Imagine. He, he takes on the flesh of an infant. I mean, infants are, like, vulnerable the first, like, three years of their life, like, totally dependent on the care of others. That's how, that's how God entered into humanity in a, in a manger. Didn't even get a hospital room, got a manger. And a lowly couple, didn't even get, like, 2019. 2019 is a pretty good year. Didn't even get 2019. He got, like, first century lowly couple in Nazareth. It's the greatest demonstration of humility. Look, he keeps going. Verse 8. It says, being found. This is Jesus. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In verse 8, Jesus is not only laying aside the glory of heaven, he's not only taking on the flesh of humanity, but Jesus is also obedient to the point of death on a cross. Take that in. I mean, God the Father has never been spit on. God the Spirit has never been beaten or mocked. But you, you read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, and it describes this scene. Jesus, God in the flesh, is being surrounded by Roman soldiers, and, and they're mocking him. They're taking the color purple of a cloth, and they're draping it around him. Right? The color purple is a sign of royalty, and they're putting it on him as, as a joke. Mark chapter 15, the, these soldiers are spitting. This is God in the flesh. Colossians 1, the creator of all things. His own creation is spitting on him. His own creation is, is beating him. Can you imagine? I mean, when Jesus steps out of the heavens, he didn't cease to be God. He's still God. And in that moment, his own creation, there's a painting in the National Gallery in London uh, by an artist who, 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 who depicts uh, Jesus, an image of Jesus standing before the high priest. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like? This is a scripture. The high priest pointing at God's word so as to rebuke the word made flesh. Like that's, like and he's God. Like, it, like at any moment, at any moment he could have said, I've had enough. At, at any moment he could have been like, nah. At any moment he could have been like, Brr. like, you know, like I don't know. Like any moment he could, have, he could have done that. And yet it's the greatest demonstration of humility, right? Right? And it says that he's, that he's obedient to the point of death. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes it, maybe it sounds like, uh, you know, Jesus was put into a headlock and like drugged to the cross, you know, like that he was kind of drugged against his will. But John chapter 10 actually teaches us that nobody takes Jesus' life, that he does all of this. He's obedient to the point of death on a cross. He does it willingly. Hebrews says it was his joy to lay, lay down his life at the cross. It says he's being obedient. Who's he being obedient to? He's being obedient to the Father. He's not obedient to these Roman soldiers. Like he could have like washed them out. And he's, he's, he's being obedient. All, he said, all throughout the life of Jesus, not my will, but your will. 
right? He's being obedient to the, to the Father, that Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament is pointing us to the day that the Savior would come, and it's describing that he does this, that, that he, he willingly lays himself down at the cross to take the penalty for our sin, to stand in our place, to be crushed for our iniquities. He does it all. So when you read verses 6, 7, and 8, and you're thinking to yourself, why would he do that? Why would he demonstrate such humility? Do you know what the answer is? It's for you. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The greatest demonstration of humility, this, this, this cosmic sacrifice that's being described in 6, 7, and 8, he does it for you. And so when we walk through a global pandemic, and we walk through tragedy in our life, we walk through a marriage falling apart, we walk through addiction, we walk through pain, we walk through death, and we have those moments, does God even care? Absolutely. Absolutely he cares. That's what scripture is teaching, that he, he's taken on flesh so that he can relate to our pain. That's what Hebrews says, that he can empathize with every pain. That there's no loneliness he doesn't know about. There's no despair that we can talk about that he doesn't relate to. He's been betrayed. right? He's been in those moments. He's walked in it. It's the greatest demonstration of humility. So in scriptures, verses 1 to 4 is calling you who are in Christ to seek unity with one another. It's not just for the sake of unity. It's like, look at all you have in Christ. Look at all we have in Christ. How could you not? Right? How could you not? It's the greatest Demonstration. Let's talk about our second subpoint, the greatest exaltation, verses 9 to 11. I'll read, you follow along. It says, For this reason also, God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Let's take it phrase by phrase. First, for this reason. Verses 9 to 11 are a culmination. Right? We go to verses 5 to 8, we see the greatest display of humility we could ever imagine. We're in shock. We're wondering, how is this possible? Why, why is this taking place? And then verse 9, the explanation. For this reason, then God, right? God the Father, right? Throughout the life of Jesus, we just talked about it. He's being obedient to the Father. He's humbled himself to take on flesh to do the will of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. He's talked to the Father. Be obedient to the point of death on the cross, to be obedient to the Father. First Peter chapter 2 talks about Jesus. It says, while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While being mocked, he didn't mock in return. But what? He kept entrusting himself to the judgment of the Father, right? So why did he do that? Look at that. It's all taking place right there in verse 9. So that he, that's Jesus, might be highly exalted. You see that in verse 9? That phrase highly exalted in the original language, that's a superlative. How are you highly exalted? Right? It means it's, it's double exalted. It's super Super exalted. He's like, exalted, exalted. 
And it's not just a reference to Jesus' resurrection because that would be enough for him to be exalted because nobody has uh, resurrected from death, right? Nobody's made that even uh, as a claim. Only Jesus has, has made that claim and, and demonstrated. And so that alone would be his, his reasoning for exaltation. But it's even on top of the exaltation, not only in the life of Jesus, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But did you know that after the resurrection, that Jesus walks around for 40 days, for 40 days, eats with people, talks with people. Over hundreds of people, over 500 people see Jesus. After 40 days, he ascends. He ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father, right? You can read about it in Acts chapter 1, right? Acts chapter 1, the resurrected of Jesus. He's conquered death. He's talking to his disciples, and then he ascends. It describes it. He, he ascends up into the heavens, and the disciples, like any human being, are like, where is he going? You know how you watch a balloon, like a kid lets go of a balloon, you just watch it like it keeps going. That's what happens, like, there's like, he keeps going. Eventually, it says two angels have to appear, and they're like, what are you doing? He's gone. He's gone. Like, he's going to come back the same way he, he left, but right now, he's gone. Right? That, that, that's, that's what's taking place right there in verse 9. It says he's exalted. He's highly exalted. Like, who else in life can, 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 can make that as a claim? There's nobody else in life. That can, can make the, like, all throughout humanity, we have stories of humans trying to be like God, right? Right now we have titans of industry like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. Like, we love them like God, right? Of just, like, they're trying to, like, look how God-like they are. We can relate to that. We have, like, spiritual gurus and leaders throughout the history of humanity. Like, the, the prophet Muhammad says he's peaked into heaven, He's, he's got a glimpse, right? You can meditate, like almost like you're gonna like into nothingness, right? You pray, just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them, right? We have examples of humans trying to get to heaven. We have even comic book heroes that get us close, where they take on like godlike qualities for a season. But only Jesus is God, who takes on flesh, lives a perfect life, conquers death in the resurrection, and then returns back into heaven. That's only Jesus. That's why it says in verse 9 that Jesus' name is the name which is above every name. Yeah? You know that song from the 70s, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. You ever heard that one? Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all. Heaven and earth proclaim that kings and kingdoms will pass away, right? There's just something about that name. It's not the letters. We know that, right? It's not like a spell from Harry Potter, right? Jesus, 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 right? It's not the letters. It's not J-E-S-U-S that makes it powerful. It's the life, death resurrection and return so that verse 10 look at verse 10 one day every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord every tongue every knee on earth, under the earth, 
and in heaven. We'll confess, we'll bow that Jesus is Lord. That's what's being described. That one day Jesus is, is, is going to return and it's going to be for all of creation is going to see his glory like his, that his glory is not going to be veiled like he's not going to come as an infant where if you kind of squint you can like I can kind of see it like right it's not, it's not he's not going to be on a cross he's not going to be bleeding it's going to be glory it's like stop you in your tracks like glory just made known and that that on that day, in that moment, every knee, every tongue will confess either in worship, like willingly, that Jesus is Lord, or in judgment. Well, that's the cross. Like You either trust that Jesus has taken our judgment at the cross and conquered it in the resurrection, or, or, or we will take that judgment upon ourselves. But every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so that's what makes our last... Our last sub-point, so important to be the greatest response. This is the greatest. This is the most important response that we can have. It's the greatest passage of all time, and it deserves the greatest response of all time. And you, when you read a passage like this, verses 5 to 11, like you can't be indifferent to it, right? It's not just, I mean, a passage so meaty, so majestic, so weighty. You can't just be like, that's good. It's good things to think about. That's interesting. Nice message, pastor, right? Right? No, like it's, it's too, this is, a ty- this is a type of passage that you, you hear it and, you, and you're like, I'm going to give my life to that. Or you should probably reject it like, and run out of the room. Of like, I think I'm in a room full of crazy people. Like this is like bonkers because that's how it's presented. There's no middle ground with the passage that we just, like there's not like, is, there's, there's no in between, like, you know, like one foot in. It's, it's either like this is, this is horrible, crazy, run out the door, or like I'm going to build my life on it. That, that, those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. He says he's, you're either an enemy or a friend. You, you either worship and follow or, or, or you run from me. There, there's, no, there's no in between for us. And so our church family, we, uh, we describe this passage through some circles. I'm going to try to draw these circles for us here this morning. I was practicing here this morning so let me erase it so I don't give it away give away the surprise I can make it across the room here look at there I feel like Vanna White some of y'all too young to know Vanna White and that's sad let me draw some circles for you here if you took our whole passage you could just really break it down to just these three circles the first one is just a reminder that that the the God of Scripture, that he's the creator of all things. So if you can't see this, you can watch it online and zoom in or something. But we're just going to draw a heart, right? That he's the creator of all things, that he created the world to be perfect. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, there's no animals attacking each other. There's no death. It says Adam and Eve are naked and unafraid, right? I mean, can you imagine, like, with that? We can't even imagine what, to walk around naked and, and not have any insecurities or fears, that's what it was like in the beginning. He created it, the world to be perfect. Now, we all know that's not what the world we see around us today, right? The world we see around us today is 
broken, right? Now, that doesn't take a strong imagination to, to imagine what a broken world looks like today. We have examples all around us. We have, the, we have wars, countries fighting each other to the point of death. We have, we have family members fighting uh, each other, cutting each other out of our life, friendships that are just ending, just like I don't ever. There's brokenness all around us. There's, there's brokenness internally, right, our anxiety. I mean, some of us, we can't sleep at night, and so we have to take medication just to try to manage the, 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 the brokenness. And wh- what we try to do is that we try to fix this brokenness in our world. We try to think, well, if I can, we can make better laws. Maybe if we introduce better laws, we'll, we'll kind of minimize this brokenness. Or if we can educate people, maybe we can, you know, tell people to stop, stop doing it. <laughs> like, stop, stop hurting one another. Maybe better education are we better systems? None of those things are wrong. It's, it's great to have better laws, better education, better systems. But no matter what we try to do, we, we constantly see just a broken world all around us. And what Scripture teaches us, the reason we see this broken world is because of our sin. That's just a big Bible word, actually a little Bible word, to describe that he created the world to be perfect. We rejected that so that because of our sin, we see a world that is broken. That's the bad news. The good news is, is what we've been talking about all this morning. It's that the God of Scripture doesn't leave us in our brokenness, right? His name is Jesus. The little, wah, right? What our passage taught us this morning is that Jesus comes. He's God, takes on flesh, walks around, lives a perfect life, and then willingly takes our sin, our judgment upon himself at the cross to the point of death, obedient to death, verse 8, and then he conquered it in the resurrection, right? He conquered death in the resurrection. And so this, these are the three circles. And what makes this the greatest response is because when we turn from the brokenness of this world, right, and trust in Jesus, we can have relationship with God, we can have life We can know what he created this world to be like from the very beginning. But it's the greatest response because you have to turn from the brokenness of this world and you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not just a good person. He's not just a good teacher. He's he's God in the flesh. And you have to believe that he conquered death in the resurrection. And when we do, when we believe that, right, we're in relationship with God and for eternity so that we get to grow in that relationship. Right? That we don't, we don't just waiting for heaven, that heaven comes to us through faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. This happened in my life when I was 18 years old. I didn't grow up around Jesus or church or any of this kind of stuff. And I used to make fun of people who believed this kind of stuff and talked about this kind of stuff. And then one day, Jesus changed my life. Somebody talked to me about what Jesus did, and I believed it. I believe that he was God in the flesh. I believe that he conquered death. I believe that I could have relationship with him for eternity. But you have to believe. You have to turn and believe. Like You can't just listen. It's not just good things to think about. You have to believe. Won't you do that this morning? Like if you're here this morning and you've never done that, then do that this morning. We'll have people at the back, people at the front. Like believe in Jesus he brought you here today to believe in him. Believe in him today. You can't sit in the middle. It's not about how you vote. It's not about where you go to church. It's not about where you grew up. It's not about your ethnicity. It's about simply believing 
what's been professed in Scripture today. I'll end with a story. I guess it was uh, in April. In April, my, uh, my family, we went up to Dallas to uh, celebrate the, the funeral for my brother. My brother passed away in, in March, and uh, our family drove up to Dallas to, uh, to celebrate his funeral. And uh, my brother was a hairstylist, and so there, there were like 100, 150 people there from all over the Metroplex, and I, I didn't really know any of them. Um, and so I'm standing in the foyer and, um, you know, kind of talking to people that I don't really know. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, uh, our family, we, we see the Menchaca family walk through the doors. The Menchacas live here in Austin. They had, they had got their kids ready, got clothed them for a funeral, drove up to Dallas to be at a funeral for, for an hour, right? And, uh, and so as soon as they walked through the, through the door, like, uh you know, tears come to my eyes because I'm just like, what are y'all doing here? I can't believe that, right? And so I, I walk over to them and I, and I hug them and um, Hector and Erica and, and I tell them how much I appreciate uh, them being there and how much it, it means. And as I'm hugging Hector, if you don't know, Hector's like, I don't know, eight feet tall. And so like to hug him, I like, you know, I try to match that. So I stand on my tippy toes, you know, like, and I'm, and I'm hugging him and I'm just saying like, hey, it means so much that you're, that you're here uh, right now. And then Hector says in only a way that Hector uh, could say, and he, he says this phrase, he says, whatever it takes. Like we're hugging at the moment and just in my ear, I just hear him say, whatever it takes. And I was like, that sounds like something Batman would say. That sounds <laughs> That sounds so awesome. Like, I can't wait till I'm in a moment where I can say whatever it takes, right? <laughs> but, you know, that's what this passage is, is teaching us this morning in Philippians chapter 2. That, that the God of Scripture, he looks upon humanity, and we're grieving. We're grieving the brokenness of our world internally and externally. And he sees us grieving. And he comes to us. He doesn't just drive up from Austin to Dallas for three and a half hours. He, he crosses the cosmic heavens to be with us, to walk among us. That's what the passage is teaching, to take all of our sin upon himself at the cross, to conquer it in the resurrection so that right now, and I don't say this to emotionally manipulate you at all, but right now because scripture teaches us, the spirit of God has his arms wrapped around you. And he's whispering into every one of our ears, whatever it takes. That's the gospel. Like the God of scripture has done whatever it takes to enter into our world to reconcile us back to himself, yeah? But you gotta respond. You gotta confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so if you've never done that, do that, do that today. Will you bow your heads? Close your eyes?